Good morning, everyone. Thank you very much, Roy, for leading us so helpfully again this morning. Uh, I'm sure we're all familiar with the well-known Scottish proverb that open confession is good for the soul. Well, for the next 20, 25 minutes or so, we're going to listen to and reflect on one of the most extraordinary prayers of open confession that was ever expressed. And it was good for the soul of the person who prayed it originally, and it has proved good for the souls of countless Christian pilgrims ever since. And for those of us who are following our journey right through the Bible, we are going back to the Old Testament today, uh, back to where we left off four weeks ago, having taken some time out to mark Pentecost and to celebrate Junior Church and Clay. But now we're going back, but not to read history which is what we've kind of been doing for the vast majority of this series. Instead, for the next three services, we're going to turn our attention to a couple of poetic prayers. A couple of poetic prayers from the Psalms, and then we're going to listen to some wise advice from the book of Proverbs. But this morning's psalm is one of the most heart-searching, one of the most challenging liberating and freeing pieces of poetry that you find in the entire Psalter. And it was written by King David years ago, although its present day relevance is is unquestionable. And the reason it's unquestionable is because it puts into words, beautiful words, haunting words actually, solemn words, expressions of sorrow and remorse that are entirely appropriate for us to use whenever we recognize and realize we've messed up. Whenever we know we've sinned. Whenever we have offended and hurt not only other people, but ultimately we've hurt our Father in heaven. Psalm 51 is an amazing prayer of confession. And if you're here this morning... And you know you've got it wrong this week. Maybe even badly wrong from your perspective. Or if on reflection you regret some of the things that you've said, some of the things that you've thought, some of the things that you've done. Or maybe you sense this morning there's distance between you and God as a result of some of the choices that you've made Or you're making. Or if you're here this morning and there is a sense of guilt. You're maybe even ashamed. Or slightly uncomfortable in God's presence. Then this psalm is for you. By the way, we we did look at this psalm as part of our alternative iTunes series two summers ago. Uh, So if you were here that morning in August 2009, I hope some of this will sound familiar. Now before we listen to to Psalm 51, I think it is important to remind ourselves what actually led to this prayer. What, What was it that actually sparked these words? And if you were here on Sunday evening on the 15th of May, we actually spent an entire service reflecting on the horrendous choices that David had made horrendous sin if there is such a thing as horrendous sin 
And I'm not going to go into any great detail this morning. I'm not going to repeat what has been said many times, apart from making the point that during the whole sordid David and Bathsheba incident that you can read in Second Samuel chapters 11 and 12, David succumbed to lust. He caved in to sexual temptation. He coveted. He effectively stole another person's wife. He committed adultery. He murdered someone, and Louis didn't actually physically, in cold blood, kill Uriah. As far as God was concerned, he killed him because he arranged it. And then he lied and conspired in order to cover up the facts. David trampled all over at least five of the Ten Commandments. His catalogue of sin over a period of time was significant. And whenever he faces up to it, and he faces up to it following a really uncomfortable conversation with Nathan the prophet. But whenever he faces up to it, he realises his need for forgiveness and he realises his need for God. And so it's against that backdrop and it's out of that experience that David writes this psalm. So let's listen to it and read it together. Should be there, right? We're not going to listen to it. Uh, Have just a read of the words. One of the 
the reasons I was, was going to play out this morning, one of the reasons I, I liked it when I came across it during the week, was that it, it not only captured David's words, but actually if you, if you were able to hear it, it really brought across the sense of emotion and the depth of feeling that I think David must have had as he wrote those words. And as you read Psalm 51, one of the things that you're left in no doubt about is that sin mattered to the writer. That sin was not something this man treated lightly. It it was clearly an aspect of his life that David took seriously. Really seriously. And so it prompted or it provoked what is an actually really strong reaction. It made him cry out to God using words and expressions and phrases that really you could tell came from deep down within. And one of the first things I do want to highlight just about this psalm, although I will come back to it later, is, is this reality that sin does matter. And I know that is not exactly in a, popular, a popular idea or conception or idea today. People no longer would agree with many of us that sin matters. It's just a non-word, a non-concept. And yet, if we're going to take God... And if we're going to take the Christian faith seriously, then there has to be an awareness and recognition that sin is a toxic reality. We simply have to do that. It is lethal, it is dangerous, it is destructive. And it is for lots of different reasons, but the primary reason it is toxic is because it offends a holy God. And it disrupts our relationship with him. And David clearly realized that. He felt that. And therefore, whenever Nathan confronted him with his sin, he fell to his knees in confessional and repentant prayer. And so right at the beginning, I do think there is a challenge this morning about how do I honestly view and treat my sin? What sort of response does it create within me? Psalm 51 is a powerful reminder that sin must never be, for me, a trivial issue. But the next thing I want us to notice is where David actually starts this prayer. If you do have your Bible open, it's in verse 1 or it's page 573 in the, the Bibles and the pews. But here's where David starts. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love and your great compassion. And you see, the starting point for David was an awareness, an awareness of and a confidence in God's love. That, that's where David started. In affirming the core nature and character of God. The message translation of Psalm 51 verse 1 sort of emphasizes this even stronger. Generous in love, God give grace. Huge in mercy, wipe out my bad record. You see, David knew... That although he had messed up, and although he had got it wrong, and although he made some shocking choices, and therefore he needed mercy, but David also knew, do you know something? God still loves me. God still loves me. And it is so important, and it is so critical for us as Christians to remember that even when we do sin, God's love for us remains constant. Some of us struggle with that. 
Some of us have done stuff this week and we think there's, there's no way that God feels the same about me this morning as he does about the person next to me. And yet, it's one of the key lessons that's communicated via the Jesus story in the, of the prodigal son. That despite the younger son's extreme rebellion and incredible selfishness, the father's extravagant and passionate love for him never let up. Never let up. We have just sang, I praise you for your faithfulness and for a father's love that never fails. Do you actually believe that this morning? Do you believe that God's love for you today is the same as it was this time last week? even in light of some of the stuff you've thought and said and done this week. And it is this reckless grace of God, this unconditional love of the Father, which is our greatest hope. In fact, it's our our only hope. I don't deserve mercy any more than David did. But you know something? I can come before God this morning and I can ask for mercy and I can find mercy Why? According to God's unfailing love and his immense compassion. God wants to, in fact, God longs to forgive you and I this morning. If the relationship this week has been disrupted because of something you've done, God wants to restore that relationship. And David realized that, and we must realize it, but in order to embrace God's forgiveness, and this is the tough bit, In order to embrace it, in order to know that restoration of a right relationship with God, we need to grasp and learn the importance of confession, repentance and acceptance. You see, having started in verse 1 by acknowledging God's love, David then goes on to acknowledge his own sin. He's got the starting point right, and so must we this morning. Don't be here this morning beating yourself up. As a starting point. Come here this morning to revel in God's extravagant love for you. And from that place, then acknowledge your sin before him. And David calls it for what it is. He actually uses three words, three different words in those verses to describe his sin. He says, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. Transgressions, iniquity, sin, they're the three most common Old Testament words for evil thoughts and actions. And David just got them out there. He takes responsibility for what he's done. He doesn't make excuses. He doesn't attempt to transfer the blame elsewhere. Instead, he recognizes, do you know something? These are my transgressions. These are my iniquities. This is my sin. It's personal. And isn't it interesting how often we, how often I, try to deflect my mess-ups? And my poor choices. And how I try to deflect my sin onto other people. I mean, how many times have you heard someone say, I'm really, lo- I'm really sorry I lost my temper there, but it was because I was so tired. Or I'm really sorry I said that, but I've been under so much pressure recently. Deflecting it. Or the family are really getting on my nerves. Or the classic, the devil made me do it. Or even it's because of my background and circumstances. You see, our natural tendency is to shift the blame rather than accept the responsibility. 
And David knew that he couldn't do this. And so there's no reference to any blame of Bathsheba for leading him on. For bathing naked on the rooftop that night. Doesn't blame her. He didn't blame Uriah for not doing what he was told to do. For not going home to his wife. He didn't blame Nathan for making him feel guilty. Instead, David acknowledged his own sin. He confessed it. He called it for what it was. And therefore, he was able to move on to the next stage. And maybe for some of us this morning, that's what we need to do. We need to own up to it. We kind of need to stop making excuses for some of the stuff we're doing. And secondly, let's recognize that That when we sin, we sin ultimately against God. Look at verse 4. Against you and you only have I sinned. Now that's surely not quite true. You see, sin hurts us. Whenever you sin, your personal integrity is often damaged. Your reputation may suffer. Your spiritual life will certainly be affected. And sin does hurt others. Whenever we lose our temper, whenever we lash out, whenever we commit adultery, there's always a trail of damaged people and fractured relationships. Sin hurts others. Sin ultimately hurt Uriah to the point where it took his own life, for it took his life. But ultimately, and this is always vital to get hold of, all sin is against God. And David was acutely aware that every wrong thing he had done right up to now in that whole catalogue was all ultimately against God. And so he says, against you and you only have I sinned. And it's one of the reasons why we must never take sin lightly because the moment you take sin lightly is the moment you lose the right view of God. The minute you lose uh, or treat sin lightly is the moment you lose perspective. And and David didn't take it lightly, as I said earlier. In fact, the realization of what David did crushed him. It crushed him internally. And so in verse 16, 17, he says, Listen, God, you do not delight in sacrifice or I will bring that to you. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. And I'm sure if that had been the case, David would have brought those. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And a contrite heart is a repentant heart. And you see, David was truly sorry for his actions because he appreciated the seriousness of what he had done. And whenever Nathan confronted him and made him aware of his sin, he didn't brush it aside. He didn't excuse it. He didn't trivialize it. It broke his heart and it led him to humble confession. And I suppose for me, the challenge is, does sin disturb me to that level? Does it crush me internally? Does it break my heart? Sin must never be something I get blasé about. New Living Translation, verse 3. For I recognize my shameful deeds. They haunt me day and night. Do they? Really? Now, I know what I kind of think sometimes when I read this psalm. Like, if I had committed adultery with my neighbour, if I had arranged for the death of her husband, I reckon I'd be scared and I'd lose some sleep. And if that's true, and that is true, sorry, but if we keep grading sin like that, if we keep grading sin like that, 
or try to dismiss ours as less offensive to God than somebody else's, then we're in grave danger of missing the point. Sin of any kind offends God, and therefore it should bother me. And David's sin unsettled him. But he was also aware that sin is not just a matter of what we do, and and this is really unpopular teaching, I know this. But sin is also a matter of who we are. That even from the moment of conception, David says, we're infected with this condition. We're all sinners with this inbuilt tendency to sin. And therefore, confession and repentance are essential disciplines if we're going to form a relationship and build intimacy with God. Because unconfessed sin makes intimacy with God virtually impossible. God loves us. But our sin disrupts the relationship robs us of that intimacy that God longs for us to enjoy with him. And so David has acknowledged his sin. It's mine. It's my transgressions. It's my iniquities. It's my sin. He's recognized who it's ultimately against. Yes, it was against Bathsheba. Yes, it was against Uriah. But it was also against God. And he's confessed and he's repented out of a broken heart. And then he seeks restoration But I love how David seeks restoration, how he expresses it. It's not just a simple, forgive me, God. How he articulates this is just an amazing framework to use. He says, create in me, or sorry, cleanse me, literally unsin me. I'm a filthy mess, God, and I need cleaned up. Wash me, he says, and I'll be whiter than snow. And in those days, to get a garment that clean, well, it didn't just mean you turned the temperature in the washing machine up, but it meant an intensive scrubbing process that took time and energy. And David is effectively saying to God, God, I give you permission to work me over. To really work me over to achieve your purposes. It's a brave prayer. And then he says, create in me. In other words, do something new in me. You are the creator, God. Do something new in me, God. Something that only you can do. Create in me a pure heart. I've allowed my heart to be contaminated, to become contaminated, and therefore I need it to be disinfected. Renew, he says, a steadfast spirit within me. I want to stop giving in to temptation, God. And I know this in me. I need God to renew a steadfast spirit in me. Because it often frightens me how often I come to that place of asking for God's forgiveness over an issue. And then I find myself in the place again where I'm caving into temptation. And so I need to say, God, I need you to renew a steadfast spirit in me. Don't cast me from your presence. Because intimacy does matter to me. I know you love me. But intimacy matters to me. I design to know your divine presence. And yet, I recognize that my sin does create distance and it does create dysfunction between us. And he says, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And God's Spirit equipped, inspired and directed people in the Old Testament. And David knew that without God's Spirit, I'm powerless. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Of course, sin can be fun. I have no doubt those initial moments with Bathsheba were great. But the aftermath is heartbreaking. 
And it robs me. It robs you. It robs people. It robbed David of his inner peace, his inner joy, and said, please, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors. In other words, I want to really share this with others. I want to stress to others the importance of seeking your forgiveness. And then finally, my tongue will sing. Open my lips and my mouth will declare your praises. I'm not going to keep this to myself. And what you have in verses 7 to 15, what you have is this incredible framework of a humble, honest, amazing prayer of confession. That, as I say, goes far beyond a simple God forgive me. And we sin every day, and I know that. And at times... I do things I'm not even aware of. I know that as well. But the difficulty is that there are things this week which I am absolutely aware of. Absolutely aware of. And therefore I need to get before God and acknowledge and confess and repent of my sin following David's model. The final thing I just want to say is this. It's to do with acceptance. But it's not God's acceptance because we've already dealt with that. God loves but it is this whole issue of acceptance of our consequences because of the sin in our lives and and I realise that that this does create a problem for some people and I do recall two years ago whenever we looked at the psalm and we kind of dealt with this issue that for some people this was a real stumbling block God did forgive David totally completely Thoroughly. But David's life and family were never the same as a result of what he had done. And Psalm 51 is a brilliant prayer of confession, repentance and forgiveness. But as we read it, we must never lose sight of the fact that David had to face up to the natural consequences of his sin. He was forgiven. That's incredible. That's liberating. That's freeing. But the kickback was severe. And it often is. And for David, and again, those of you who have been journeying with us through the series, know the kickback for David. That the child that he and Bathsheba had together got incredibly sick and died when he or she was only one week old. And the reason, according to Nathan, because of your sin, David. And a second consequence, and this is an incredibly disturbing event, Recorded in 2 Samuel 12, 11 and 12, is that God allows David's other wives to be given over to one of his neighbours who was then able to have relations with them, I'll put it like that, in broad daylight. You did it in secret, says God, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. And think of the shame. And the offence and the horror of seeing your wife used in this way. And there were other consequences because murder became a constant threat to David's family and household. You know, if David had known the painful consequences of a sin, I'm convinced he would never have pursued the pleasure of that one night stand. David was forgiven. His relationship with God was restored But he did have to learn to live with the consequences of his mistakes. 
And that remains the reality for many people, many people here today. But thank God he doesn't abandon us to those consequences. He's with us in them. He offers us strength to face them. And he promises to accompany us through them. But for many people, they still exist. And so what is your response to this psalm this morning as we close? Is open confession before God necessary this morning for the good of your soul? I'm going to do two things just as we finish this service. The first is sing a song that many of us know, a song written many years ago, which is just based uh, exactly on this psalm. So I suggest we sing this through twice. And then after we've sung this through twice, and we'll remain seated, after we've sung this through twice, I'm going to put up a, a prayer. And it's, uh, it's a prayer I came across recently, a prayer of confession. It was written again quite some time ago, and so the language and the wording is a little bit dated. But I think it brilliantly captures the sentiments of Psalm 51. And so in these next few moments as we sing, and as you take the opportunity to pray, I want to give you space and time to just consider some open confession, which will be good for your soul this morning.